Hello, and welcome to the Playwrights Union Podcast. I'm Eric Rudnick. And I'm Deb Height. Deb is fantastic. You've heard her on Says You, and we're going to get deeper into what Deb does in just a second. We want to acknowledge that our presence is on the ancestral and unceded territory of the Gabriolina Tongva people. The Playwrights Union is an inclusive collective of playwrights here in Los Angeles. We have readings and mixers and challenges, and it is a fantastic community. However, when these in-person events were no longer available due to a certain someone... Who shall remain nameless. Exactly. We really missed getting together with our fellow writers, and so this podcast was born. We also want uh, to widen the circle and have you, listening right now, be a part of this. You are listeners at home. That's right. Or in the car. Or at work. That's right. Thank you. (laughs) I told you she was a pro. (laughs) So, Deb, we're back. We're going to live events. How has the transition been for you? It's been good. Uh, I feel like I get so much out of being with other people in the theater environment that, um, you know, I'm willing to risk it. Um, I'm, I'm still a, a mask wearer at this point inside the theater. Um, but I'm going to assume that everyone is taking the right precautions and everyone is rooting for everyone else to stay healthy. Um, and mostly I feel like the mask wearing is to protect the actors and the people who are giving it their all. And I'm happy to see that audiences are, are back, are, are starting to come back, that it's, it's um, houses are filling up and new work is being done and being born, and that's a beautiful thing. Now, let me ask you, if you're wearing a mask during the performance and the performance or part of it is not to your liking, do you ever take off your mask and protest? I will take off my mask just to stick out my tongue and make sure that the actors see that I am judging, that I'm doing a lot of judging. I feel like that's important to have scowl, to scowl a lot and look really uh, disapproving because I feel like that might help the actor's performance if I'm doing a lot in the way of, uh, you know, being dismissive. If I appear like I'm about to walk out, I feel like that maybe puts them in a good space. Interesting. I'll tell you, the main difference for me is before, you know, like two and a half years ago, I was washing all the tomatoes before I was throwing them on stage. And now I just throw them. Right, right. Exactly. We're just letting it letting it rip a little more, which, you know, feels feels good in these end times. Yeah, I will say from having done some readings as an actor in front of a crowd of people wearing masks, it is like um, performing in front of my cats. You know, I, I'm not quite sure how I'm doing. And so I really, I'm scanning, scanning, scanning for any sort of, um, you know, twitches or eye contact because you have so little to, to go on when you're not, when you can't see the face. So, I mean, I'm kind of joking about taking off my mask so they can see my face, but uh, it, it's a thing, you know, you sort of unconsciously look out to see and, and try to get something back and to give, you, to give you some sense of how you're doing. So I feel for them. I feel like their already difficult job is made that much more difficult because we are masked. But, you know, these are the times. This is the Rona. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, I just did uh, something over at EST and looking out into an audience, I'm like, is she tugging on the gentleman's sleeve next to her? That's a sign of something. Did he, 
Did she just raise her eyebrows? Like looking for any kind of clue. Is this landing with you? Are you out there? Because I cannot see most of your face. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It's a challenge. Um, but people are rising to that challenge. They sure are. So speaking of live theater, I just read this recently on the blog, Musical Theater Lives In Me, which is a site on WordPress. I'm always looking for quotes from people about what the theater is and what it does for them. So this person said, the happiness that I get from live theater is powerful, so much so that I find it almost addictive. As soon as I finish seeing one show, I am counting down again until the next one. I can't bear going too long without seeing a live show, and the longer gaps I have to sometimes endure seem very long indeed. People ask me why I strive to see as many shows as possible, and that is the reason why. I crave that happiness. Seeing live theater is the best thing in the world for me. Do you love that quote? I do love that quote. That's, that is so beautiful. So sincere. Deb, what have you seen lately that made you feel like that? I had the pleasure of seeing a production of a new musical called Calvin Berger at Colony Theater in Burbank. And it was great. It's, it's four characters. It's the story basically of Cyrano, but it's set in present day high school. And the actors were amazing. Um, it was directed by Richard Israel. The, the musical direction was great. It was just great to see a new musical. And speaking of new musicals, I also saw Come Get Maggie at Rogue Machine Theater. I think it's the first time maybe ever that they've done a musical. Um, and it was also so enjoyable. I also saw Love and Information at Antius Theater directed by Emily Chase, and I thought that was fantastic. It's such a fascinating play by Carol Churchill, and it's these short scenes that can be done in any order, and um, it's fascinating. And and NTS, as usual, did an amazing job. And I saw a brother's play, which uh, was written by Matthew Doherty, and that was devastating and hilarious and gut-wrenching and moving. I also saw Brothers play and was really knocked out by the kind of Sam Shepherdness of it all. It was so down and dirty and, and Matthew is his own writer and his own dude. I love him. But also I saw a direct line from American theater greatness shot through that play. And I was so pleased to see like that play on its own terms, but echoing back to some of the finest things I've ever seen in my life. So, uh, and great performances, great direction all around. Lovely. I also saw Sweatshop Overlord, which is Christina Wong's solo piece about her sewing masks with uh, a crew of aunties that she put together in the beginning of the pandemic. And it is uh, so unique, so fun. She's such an amazing writer and performer of her own work. And... She tells this story that could only be told by her and could only be told having lived through that experience, and it was fantastic. I would see her in anything, and I think she is going to be somebody who will be on movie screens and TV screens, I hope, because as many people as possible should see the magic that she does, but in a theater with her was quite something. And then I saw Mystery House by the Playwright Union's own Wendy Weiner, and uh, that is 
something we'll talk about later when we give our shout-outs, but that was something where she performed in an audience of about 16 people in a private home and just weaved a tale about this woman who built this house um, in the late 18th, early 19th century. It was fascinating. And so uh, take me to another place with just your words kind of a thing that I love. So that's what we've seen, and we're looking forward to some things coming up. Now it's time to welcome our interview for the week. This woman is making her business known all over the country. She has plays, it seems, everywhere. And I've seen, I think, most of them, and they're all top-notch. The plays include The Great Jerry Curl Debate, Black Superhero Magic Mama, and A Hit Dog Will Holler. Please welcome to the Playwrights Union podcast stage, Playwrights Union member Inda Craig Galvan. Inda, how have you been? I'm good. How are you? Great. Great. It's so good to see <laughs> it's you. It's good to see you. It's good to see both of you. Inda, we were talking earlier about things that we'd seen recently uh, around town, and we, for a while, were saying, what have you seen in person or virtually? But I think uh, that part can be jettisoned out of the uh, questions. So uh, what have you seen lately that has really uh, been great? I recently saw Christina Wong's sweatshop Overlord, uh, which I loved. Um, love that she took an, an event that was affecting all of us, did something about it in her real life, and then took that thing from her life and made it into art. And I loved it. It was funny and moving and wish I knew how to sew. And I saw a reading of uh, Larissa Fasthorse's uh, new play, Fake It Till You Make It. Yes, I saw that too. That's the title of it? Yes. Uh, Very funny. (laughs) Very funny comedy. um, And dealing with with who's telling whose stories and who's who's taking care of what community and and getting who's grant money. Um, <laughs> not to give away too much of it, but it's very funny, and, and I was glad I got to see it in this stage and can't wait to see yeah, it. Yeah, that's it going produced. to be uh, coming up at the Mark Taper Forum. I saw it, too. I thought it was great. So, Inda, how did you get started uh, as a playwright? I know you're from Chicago, and I know uh, that you've acted, so how does that all funnel into this career? Yeah, when I was in Chicago, I was doing theater and sketch comedy, writing and performing, and my family moved to California, and my sketch partner stayed in Chicago, didn't move with my family, weird. And I was by myself (laughs) still wanting to write something, say something, there are still things going on in the world that I wanted to say something about. And I tried my hand at stand-up, I tried solo work, and eventually came around to maybe I could do plays and television and all that. So I applied to grad school because I wanted to make sure that I had the same tools. I've always been kind of a do-it-yourselfer, but I wanted for this to be a career and for me to have the same tools in my toolbox that everybody else did. I wanted to know what everyone else was talking about and learn the language and learn the the rules and and then break the rules and all of that. So I applied to graduate school at University of Southern California in the dramatic writing program, which is uh, playwriting 
focused. And at the time that I took the program, I could also take electives and I took all of those in the cinema school. So I could understand the TV side and, and the film side and get practice writing, writing those things in a safe environment. And my thesis play won some awards and, and helped me get an agent and my theater agent helped me get my TV agent. And then that's, I've continued writing and working in both. That is awesome. I love uh, USC. I live right nearby. My wife went there as a theater major. Fight on. Fight on. <laughs> as they say. Having studied the different disciplines, did you leave that program with a favorite? Did you say, oh, playwriting is more my speed than TV or or, or what was the, the your thinking at the time? And when what is it now? That's a great question, Deb. Um, I like all of it. I love different parts of of all of it. I love that mm-hmm. in playwriting, our words matter to the point that you cannot change our words without our permission. I love right. that you can put anything on a stage. You can whatever you can imagine you can you can do and somebody can figure out how to do and and if there are budgetary concerns but there is always somebody out there who's going to figure out how to do it with a piece of cloth and a and some glitter you know um yeah you, you don't have the same kind of restraints to your imagination I love television because you don't have to be the one to come up with everything. (laughs) You got a room full of people and you're all pitching and you're collaborating and you're yes anding each other, which is what we do in improv. And and you can throw out an idea that sucks and you don't have to worry about fixing it because then somebody else is going to help with that. And then you can jump back in and and you keep helping each other and you keep throwing things out there and making it awesome in a collaborative way that you don't quite get to in playwriting until you're in process and development or in the production. Mm-hmm. And then film, I've only written a couple films that are just for me uh, and I'm working on a, something that would be for someone else and still collaborative with the producers and that you get feedback and you can, you have somebody to talk through stuff with sort of like a, a dramaturg. If they're able to do that with you, that's great. But then once, once, once it's gone, it's, it's not yours anymore. So I think, TV and theater are tied for number one for me. And do you miss stand-up and performing? I don't miss stand-up. I miss sketch sometimes because there's that immediacy. There's, you know, you write it. I I, I miss sketch more than improv because that was always super scary for me. My email address used to be improv is hard. (laughs) Uh, Please don't send me mail there. I won't look at it anymore. Because it's hard. Because it's hard. (laughs) Uh-huh. I do miss sketch, though, because we would really work on these pieces and making sure we were saying something and and with nothing, like no very few props and very little lighting and sound, couple sound cues. But it's just two bodies on stage becoming all of these characters. And I was just really fortunate to have the best sketch partner in the world. Uh, his name's Kevin Douglas, and he's brilliant, and he's my friend, <laughs> even though he didn't move with my family to Los Angeles. Uh, he is even though he selfishly stayed in Chicago, right? <laughs> Loser. He has since moved here. Oh, there you go. All right. And I actually go. ended up. I think that was my first directing job. I directed uh, two, three sketches that he and his wife wrote for the Second City Network. Very cool. 
Yeah. It all comes around. Is his wife an actor who was in Clyde's? Yes, Tamberla Perry Douglas. She's brilliant. I watched their videos. After I saw her in that show, I was like, who is that? And then I went on, I saw the videos that they make with the two of them as a couple and with their daughter. And I was like, Mm -hmm. this is so funny and charming. And it seems effortless. I know those videos take a lot of work, but I was, they just come off as two of the nicest, most genuine and funny people because their sense of humor is so sharp, but there's no push behind it. It's just, hey, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. But yeah, I saw her on stage and I was like, Wow, she should be in everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she should. And, and you know, not to brag, but I was his stage wife first. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he is he is my brother and she is my sister and, and I love them dearly. And they were doing these videos on their own. And then um, Second City approached them and they said, hey, why don't you all uh, produce our videos? <laughs> and they said, okay. And so uh, they had... I think there were five of us, four of us black female um, directors who directed the pieces, and I got to do three of the sketches. Oh, that's great. Um, back to your playwriting, Welcome to Matson is getting its world premiere this fall at New Jersey at New Jersey Rep, which I love. Um, and it had its first workshop at Oregon Shakespeare Festival in 2016. Talk just a little bit about the challenges of the development process, getting readings, uh, workshops, how, how do you um, discern what's going to be best for the play? What have, what's your experience been? Yeah, that was my, OSF gave me my first sort of professional development opportunity. Louise, I was a student at USC at the time, and Louise Alfaro was also working, teaching there and working at OSF at the same time and invited me up for that. And it was great to sort of understand what happens in that world. You know, you get to collaborate with these amazing actors asking you great questions about the play to think about and and having a dramaturg ask you questions to challenge you. And it was great. Uh, And then the play went on to do a a few other developmental opportunities, so many that people were like, wait, this play hasn't been produced yet? Mm. So I've learned with Black Superhero Magic Mama, and which is my first first play out, and then with Welcome to Madison, it's great when you're first starting to get your name out there in as many places as possible so that people know who you are. And then after a while, don't say yes to everything. Um, one thing that is helpful to me is to make sure I look at the theater's website and look at their past productions. Are they developing things that they are later producing or are they not producing any of those things? And, you know, there's going to be a, a backlog. They're not going to be able to produce everything that they do a reading for, a development, a development of. Mm-hmm. But if they're, a theater has no people that look like me, no black people, <laughs> no black playwrights, if they're, or they're only doing August Wilson, if God bless them, God rest his soul. But if they're only mm-hmm. doing August Wilson plays, they're not going to ever produce my work. And why are they wanting to do this developmental week and reading? Just be grateful for the opportunities that come, but figure out, is this an ongoing relationship that's really going to be beneficial to the this work? Mm-hmm. Or is this something that's going to give this theater some grant money and then I'm never going to hear from them again? Mm-hmm. But thank goodness, 
that's not the case with Matson. Um, it is getting getting produced, and I could not be happier. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now that play is getting a rolling world premiere, which um, is something done by the National New Play Network. If you get one of these, consider yourself lucky because. If you're not a playwright or if you don't know how things have worked in the past, normally you get a world premiere in any city in the country or sometimes the world and no other theater wants to do your play because it's not a world premiere. So the National New Play Network, in their wisdom, decided that they would do something called a rolling world premiere. They started this a few years ago. So every year a play gets chosen and it gets a world premiere in four cities within the same calendar year. And that way it creates buzz, it creates great word of mouth. It's in a time with, you know, social media, people could say, hey, I saw this show in Chicago, it's coming to Tallahassee, you should go see it. So it's the kind of thing that really is letting you know that it's not just you sitting there typing, it's people who are trying to figure out how to get your work to people, and you might not even know who those people are yet who are going to champion your work. But uh, I had a friend who had a Rolling World premiere, and it's just a thrill. It's a thrill. So I'm really happy for you that your play is getting that. And uh, the first production is in New Jersey, you said? Yes, New Jersey Rep. Uh, they were the first ones to say, hey, we want to produce it. So they, they do have, I think it was, there were five plays? I don't remember now. That, that were in the showcase this year. Every year they do a showcase. And then from there, the invited theaters all of the member theaters of NMPN, you hope one of them steps forward. And New Jersey Rep was the first to say, okay, we want to go ahead and commit to producing it. And we would like to see if there are other theaters out there, but you have to get that one first. And then what I did was send emails to all those other theaters that had done development (laughs) of the play in the past and said, hey, remember this play? You said you love it. You're a member of NMPN. Do you want to jump in and produce it? And so far, one theater has joined in and another theater that that hadn't done anything with it but but I had a relationship with them said we would also like to do it. So so far we've got three three theaters committed and um can't say who the other two are yet cuz they haven't announced their seasons yet but it's happening. It's happening. That's great. It it was that one play that I was like, "Oh, this is never getting produced." Like I had come to <laughs> accepting. I, I came I accepted it. I was I was mad about it, and then I accepted it, <laughs> and then I stopped thinking about it, and then now it's happening. I think it's so cool how there was a long time, when I was kind of growing up and first starting to like become aware of theater and, and, and really like taking an interest in it, most theaters were like, hey, we do a Shakespeare, we do a mid-century American playwright, you know, it's going to be Edward Albee, or it's going to be... Um, you know, and I love Edward Albee, or it's going to be, you know. Eugene O'Neill. Yes, or somebody else who, you know, has a bound copy with their 18 plays in it. Or, you know, and then we're going to do a musical, mm-hmm. and then we might do a new play, but we'll probably do a Neil Simon. <laughs> and then that's it, and then it's like, <laughs> what is, where is the new? And I love how people are finding a way to put new work on and realizing that there's an audience for that. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, I understand you're taking a chance, you know, you're taking a chance. There are certain areas of the country where they loved, they, they don't, they'll go out and see the new work and they're like, yes, we'll support it. There are other areas of the country that 
are sort of, I, I think it's the way that the theaters are training the audience of like, this is what's, this is what theater is, or this is what good theater is. And then you're only getting Albie and one musical and, and you're not seeing the new work. So I, I get that they, ha- it's hard to take a chance on something that's going to cost theater money and they don't know if their audiences are going to show up. But if you've trained your audiences that to expect new work and to be excited about new work, then they will show up. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, it's true. It's also interesting that theaters that are primed to produce new work still like the work to be vetted. Once you get that first production commitment, then other theaters that are already interested in new work go, oh, yes, yes, we'll we'll jump on that rolling world premiere. And whereas, you know, a month earlier, they hadn't didn't have it in their season, but they're like, oh, look. It's being vetted. I, I, you know, I want a part of that. And I, and again, I think it makes, you know, artistic directors have to think um, about all the aspects. And so the, the economy of new work is, um, can't just be ignored. Um, But I think you're right. So much of it is artistic directors that really know how to introduce their audiences to the process and what to expect. And you can have the Neil Simon play in a season where you also have a brand new work and you can integrate it in, in an organic way that makes people feel safe about going to see something from someone they've never heard of. I mean, that's the goal, right? You know, so that there's building a future and building an audience that appreciates the future. I had a question just in terms of your creative process. You have magical realism in your work. You have... Um, what some might consider large cast these days because everyone's trying again the economies of producing theater but in the process when you get an idea and you're creating it do you ever have to go oh maybe this is not maybe this is going to be too hard to produce oh maybe I should combine these characters into what do you have any restraints that you put on yourself or are you one of those gifted writers that just goes with the muse and whatever wherever it leads you I don't put restraints on myself. Um, yes, yes. I feel like whatever the story needs is what the story needs. If the story needs as many characters, it needs as many characters. Um, Black Superhero Magic Mama was like eight, I think. And then I wrote an adaptation of a, a Spanish comedia, which was like 16 or something ridiculous. But that's what was in the original cast. And, and it ended up being produced at a college so or at colleges. So you needed that. Um, mm-hmm. right. But I, I think whatever's the story that you're trying to tell, what, what it necessitates. And then the magical realism, I love putting impossible or seemingly impossible things in my plays. If that's what's happening in the mind of the character, if that's where they're going, then that's where they have to go. And, it, and if it makes sense and if it's in the context of the play, I believe that designers will figure it out. And I put a lovely... They will find a way. Yeah, they'll yeah. find a way. And I think that I've talked to a lot of designers who say that they love the challenge of doing some impossible thing. Um, my play, The Great Jerry Curl Debate, has it takes place inside of a beauty supply store, a black beauty supply store on the south side of Chicago. And we have giant posters all over the beauty supply stores. If you walk into any of them, 
any beauty supply store, there's all these posters and that's the woman's environment. That's where the play lives. And she's dealing with all sorts of stuff in her head. And so the posters come to life and they start to talk to her and they start to push her and, and advise her because where else would that come from? The posters are right there. And mm-hmm. so I put that in the stage direction in a bracket. Designers go with God, make magic, figure it out and trust that that they will. And the, the world premiere production of that at East West Players in Los Angeles, they did an amazing job. Um, people gasped the first time one of the posters moved and came to life because they weren't expecting it. Um, and I chuckled. <laughs> secretly high-fived yourself. I did. <laughs> Maybe not so secretly. <laughs> I remember seeing that and being delighted by that image of these posters coming to life, but also one of the posters was a couple mm-hmm. and they bo- both came to life. So I love how you gave life to it. You weren't just using it as a device to be funny. It was a comment on things that the characters in the play themselves couldn't or wouldn't say. Mm-hmm. So there was a reason for this rather than just it being spectacle. Yes. Always. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> I've seen it the other way, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> whatever can get anybody's attention is I'm all, I'm all for it. But I love that there was a deeper kind of understanding of the play brought out by these characters that came off these posters, which was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. And this woman was at a point in her life where she needed to make a change, but she had buried her artistic side. She had buried that part of herself because of what needed to happen in her in her life. She was taking care of a, a kid. She was a single mom and she didn't have means and she just needed to go to work every day and get get paid and take care of her kid. And when she you've got all that artistic stuff bubbling up inside of you, it has to and you know you should be following it, but you won't because you believe that you can't, which is the story of my life. You, it finds other ways, your self-conscious finds other ways to tell you what you need to hear. And that's what happens in the, in that play. So that's, I hope that it's more than just a device. I've been warned to not rely on devices. So. No, it's, it was so uh, well done and uh, big, big congratulations to the team there that made it, you know, part of the play. It's, if it's in the script, it's got to be on that stage somehow. And they, they figured out a way to do it really well. So you have some things coming up that I know that you're excited about, but <laughs> you get a little specific about what's what's coming up in the future and uh, what it all means. Ooh, let's see. Well, we talked about Welcome to Madsen. That's opening in uh, September at New Jersey Rep. So excited. Uh, a jumping off point was a play I wrote out of spite and anger and then rewrote it and submitted it to the Bay Area Playwrights Festival and did more work on it there. And it is being produced uh, in April at Roundhouse Theater uh, in Maryland. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I, I love it. I've read that play and I it it just it blew me away. I love it so much. It's fantastic. Thank you. I actually did a... a, a did I do a rewrite of it at, at, with Playwrights Union? I don't remember now. But yeah, I'm excited about that. That one has zero magical realism. None. <laughs> None. Only play I've read. And it was the fastest yes I've gotten for a production. <gasps> 
So maybe the universe is trying to tell me something. I don't know. I'm not. I don't I'm know. not gonna listen. Know. So because that's my way. Um, and then I have another new play called Birth Breach Breach Birth or Beat of the Fourth. Uh, we're doing a developmental work- workshop at City Theater uh, in May. Um, you know, no promises, no expectations, but uh, we're going to work on mm-hmm. on the play. We're going to do the workshop for a week and then do a, a reading of it. Working on a couple commissions, one for Roundhouse and one for Old Globe. And which came about because I had done a very early reading, a workshop of Matson at the Old Globe. And um, it, I guess it, just, it didn't fit into the season, but they still wanted to have a relationship with me. And I really appreciate that um, they weren't saying that they love my writing just because it's a thing that you say. <laughs> they, they genuinely mm-hmm, did. So mm-hmm. I know I'm working on a play in commission and then I got some TV stuff in development and soon we'll be going back hopefully for fingers crossed prayers up season two of Will Trent and I'll be a co-executive producer on that show on ABC oh it's so good do you watch it I do I love him <laughs> I do I love him and the, the writing is fantastic. <laughs> we love him Ramon Rodriguez plays Will Trent and a dog named Bell plays Betty, who everybody <laughs> loves Betty. Um, but yeah, that's that's been really a really great experience working on that show. So I'm I'm happy that people love it. I just want to say I saw back to your play that you were talking about. I saw a reading of uh, Birth Breach Breach Birth, and I was floored. What a what a ride that is. I mean galvanizing it's the kind of play that if if you saw a production of it you would just you wouldn't you'd be sitting in the theater for two hours no talk back just you turning to the person next to you and being in a deep heavy conversation i love that yeah (laughs) i was i was involved from the moment and i was like this is oh man let me know when that's coming up because i will i will i will walk across this nation to go see that Aw, thank (laughs) you i that's another one of how, how are we going to do this? It has a horse on stage that is pregnant with a slave ship in its belly. Ha- and a person sits up and talks to the veterinarian <laughs> and has m- multiple conversations with her without actually <laughs> using words. How? I don't know. Make magic. They're going to have so much fun figuring it out. Designers are going to just love it. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Hey, if you're not inspired by Inda's, uh, all the stuff she's doing and in the different mediums she's working and all of the uh, fantastic, I mean, you've described your plays and none of them sound like each other. Take that, Neil Simon. Um, (laughs) Just keep doing what you do and we'll we'll all be watching uh, and buying tickets and uh, cooking up the popcorn. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for, for having me. It's been great talking to you. Hey, thanks to Inda Craig Galvan for coming by to talk to us. That was fantastic. I love her so much. Doing the things. All the things. All right, here's the portion of the podcast where we give shout outs to our members and alumni who are doing things all over the country. We're bad, we're nationwide. I'm going to start with a big one. The Thanksgiving Play by Larissa Fasthorse is having its Broadway premiere. Broadway! First preview is Saturday, March 25th. It opens April 20th and runs through June 4th at the second stage at the Helen Hayes Theater. It's directed by Rachel Chafkin, 
starring Darcy Carden, Katie Finneran, Scott Foley, and Chris Sullivan. Larissa is the first known Native American female playwright on Broadway. So exciting, and I'm gonna get to see it! Uh, very excited about that. Um, also, Victor Lesniewski's play, Cold Spring, was named a featured finalist for the Blue Ink Award and will receive a public reading in August with American Blues Theater in Chicago. He was also recently awarded a Sloan New Play Commission through Ensemble Studio Theater New York for a play about the origins of big data. Big data. And he has been named an associate artist with Ashland New Plays Festival for the 2023 season. Excellent. Bernardo Cubria's play titled The Play You Want, which was at the Road Theater, fantastic production which I saw, was nominated for the Los Angeles Drama Circle Critics Award for Best New Play, and it received the Stage Raw Award for New Play. Alumna Dorothy Fortenberry is an executive producer on a brand new show on Apple TV, Apple Plus, Apple Plus, called Extrapolations, that stars none other than Meryl Streep. What? Dorothy was also a writer-producer on Handmaid's Tale. Amazing. Lisa Kenner Grissom has a workshop production of a new musical, Vilna, A Resistance Story, going up in Kansas City at the White Theater the last two weekends in April. Lisa wrote the book. Kevin Cloud is the composer and lyricist. The show is about a group of writers and artists who band together as resistance fighters in the Vilna ghetto in Lithuania during World War II. There are also plans for a reading in New York City in the fall. Stephanie Allison Walker has a reading coming up in her hometown. Her play, The Sister House, will have a reading directed by Georgette Verdun. Is it Georgette Verdun? It sounds very fresh. At Barrington's White House in Barrington, Illinois. That's April 16th at 3 p.m. More information is available at barringtonswhitehouse.com. And Broadway Play Publishing published three of Stephanie's full-length plays, The Art of Disappearing, American Home, and Friends with Guns. Jamie Branley's play, Oh, A Rhapsody in Divorce, will be presented as part of the Inkwell Theater's lab development program at the Broadwater Black Box here in Los Angeles on March 31st, April 1st, and April 4th at 8 p.m. And we have members and alumni who have short plays or monologues in the Smith & Krause Best of 2023 editions published in October of this year. Sean Abley, Jennifer Berry, Jamie Brandley, Jeanette D. Farr, Julie Jagur, Jennifer Maisel, and Steve Serpis. Congratulations to all those writers. And... Playwrights Union will have its first peak new play reading series the weekend of May 19th, 20th, and 21st this year at Atwater Village Theatre. As always, these tickets are free to come hear brand new works in progress and read by talented actors in person, just like we spoke about before. More info is at our website, Playwrights Union. I want to thank Deb Height for first time co-hosting ever. It was so fun. Thanks for having me. Let's do it again next time, people. Until then, thanks for listening to the Playwrights Union podcast. And remember, go see a show. And if you're there, be nice to people because it's always somebody's first time at the theater. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.